Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're start with today. I want you to uh, evaluate your week uh, in terms of how peaceful it was, okay? So it's a continuum. On one end of the continuum, you uh, had a week where you kind of felt like it, you feel when you lay in a hammock next to a still, calm lake. On the other side, you're trying to cross the 405 at 5 o'clock on foot. Where are you at? What kind of week do you have? Tell somebody. How many hammock people we have in the room? Any hammock people? Good week. What's it like? <laughs> All right. How many freeway people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many in between? Yeah, we're freeway people mostly. Okay. Yeah, we have some in betweeners. Yeah, yeah. Life is like that. Life is busy. Uh, we. I feel like we live a pinball life. If you're under forty. I don't know, look it up. Uh, it, it, but we're just bouncing around and, and doing all this stuff. And, and, uh, and how do you manage to have peace in a world that's crazy? Every news cycle that comes out, some new thing to be afraid of or worried about. Every, <clears throat> every news report, every day there's something. But we as Christians have this incredible opportunity to live a different life. Not just in our behavior. We talk about we live differently. It's not just our behavior or even our attitudes. It is that we are to live at peace. To be in peace no matter what's going on around us. And so uh, this week I want to talk about how do we develop habits that help us to live in peace. Um, And so uh, we're in the book of Colossians. I want to read that passage in chapter 3 verses 11 through 17. I'm going to read them fairly quickly. Don't worry, we're going to come back and do verse by verse in a moment. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, before I get to this passage, we need to remember what uh, Colossians is largely about. And it's about the answering of a couple of questions. And uh, I asked Matt, uh, my uh, son-in-law, our youth pastor, I said, Matt, when I'm going to talk about peace, what, what comes to your mind? And he opens his phone and looks it up, and he's like, this quote. And he gave me this quote. And I think it comes from John Orberg, if I remember right. Uh, peace is not having calm waters, but having Jesus in the boat. Because we all think if life would just calm down, if the world would just slow down, if we could just take a time out, I would be at peace. You're not going to get that. So does that rob you of the possibility of having peace, or is there another answer? So that quote is taken from Luke chapter 8. And if you remember Luke chapter 8, uh, in verse 22, Jesus and his disciples, they start across uh, the Sea of Galilee. 
a storm comes up and small bodies of water can get pretty, pretty uh, wild and it starts to swamp the boat. And the uh, problem is Jesus has fallen asleep on the journey. Disciples are about to drown, at least they think so. <clears throat> they go wake Jesus and they say, Jesus, Jesus, we're about to drown. Actually, they say, Master. And, Master, Master, we're about, to, we're about to drown. And here's what he says in, um, in let's see what verse is that, verse 24. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Now, see, that's a powerful, that's a powerful question. That's question number one, where is your faith? But I, I want to give it a little different thought. You may be thinking, where is your faith? Like, you don't have enough faith. Like, you should be working on, you should be growing your faith. Like, you should, you should have more faith, which is kind of what it's saying. But maybe he's asking a little different question. And, and if he's not, I am today. Uh, and, and it's not, I need more faith. I'm going to get more faith. Maybe it's, he's trying to clarify what their real faith is. So I can imagine the disciples probably start bailing water. We don't want to wake Jesus up. Let's bail water. And only as a last resort, they went to Jesus. Does that sound at all familiar? Hey, let's pray. Has it come to that? Right? Where is your faith? Where is your actual faith? What is that ultimate thing that you depend on, you put your hope in, that thing that you go to if everything else failed? What is that thing? Now, you might say it's Jesus, but if you don't pray until the last thing on the list, your hope's not really in Jesus. That's kind of like a Hail Mary kind of. That's funny. I just Hail Mary. I don't know what the theological implications of that are. But anyway, it's, it's a last ditch effort. How about that? That's a better way to say it. Um, so where is your, so here's the reality. Maybe a part of what we should ask ourselves is where is my faith? What is that thing that I think is going to save me? And if we're to be really honest, we, we might say we're all Christians, so it's Jesus. But if we're really honest, we really hope that the money, if we can make enough money, that's going to fix everything. If I could find the right person, marry the right person, that's going to fix everything. If I could just get the kids out of the house. By the way, that one helps. I'm not going to lie. That one that does help a lot. But if I, if I could, if, 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 it's that if, Right? And when, when you have faith in Jesus, everything becomes a because, not an if. If God comes through, if you, have, you don't say if God, it's when or because I'm in Christ, I can go forward, I can keep going. So the first question is, where's your faith? And then it goes on, it says, in fear and amazement, they ask, so here's the thing, I don't think they woke Jesus up, I don't know, you, you take your take on it, but it kind of makes me think that I don't think they woke Jesus up to fix the problem. They were just waking him up so he didn't drown. Because when he did fix the problem, they were freaked out in fear and amazement. That wasn't what they were expecting. So in fear and amazement, and here comes the second question. They ask one another, who is this? Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Who is this? That's the second question. First question, which faith in? Second question is, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus to you? I travel to Israel. I have a friend in Israel, and um, we have conversations about Christianity and Judaism. And, and um, this friend believes that Jesus is a really good rabbi, good Jew, but Paul not so much. Paul messed the whole thing up, and he tried to assign divinity to Jesus. Well, if you read the words of Jesus, Jesus kind of already said that, so it wasn't really Paul. But that's their take on Jesus. I have other people say, "Oh, Jesus, he was a good, good guy, good teacher, good teacher," and I'm like, "Really? Because he said he was God." 
So the whole C.S. Lewis, Lord, lunatic, or liar thing, you know, if he said he was God, but he wasn't, then he wasn't a good teacher, he was a nutcase, right? That's what C.S. Lewis says. Um, and what do you do with Jesus? This book of Colossians is about those who are in Christ and Christ is in them. Those who have come to believe that Jesus was God incarnate, died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, rose from the dead so that we could have the hope of eternity in heaven with him, who wants to not only forgive us of our sins, change our character to be more like Jesus, use us for an impact in this world for his kingdom. If we believe that, then in Christ, there's a whole new set of possibilities. If our answer to that second question is, I believe Jesus was who he said he was. Then it opens up a whole new set of possibilities with our life, not just our eternity. Let me, uh, let me just read for you Ephesians 4, 22. I introduced this Ephesians passage because the Colossians 3 passage we're looking at kind of, in my mind, parallels the Ephesians 4 passage. They have some similar teaching by Paul, and I want to look at both of those today. Um, Ephesians. Uh, you were taught with regard to your former way of self, or life, which by all the way in Colossians, just in the previous section, it did the same thing here. Um, your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And here's the part I want to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness to be made new in the attitude of your mind to be made new. If we come to believe in Jesus, there are new possibilities. We become new people. So let me just walk you through that. Uh, back to the uh, Colossians uh, um, verse 11. In this, it says that when you are in Christ, you become a new kind of people with new possibilities. Listen to this. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, the most important thing about us is that we follow Jesus. It's not that you're black or white or your ethnicity or your race or your, where you come from historically or your language. It's not any of that. It is that you are in Christ. That's the most important thing about you. That's the most important thing about me. That is what determines the possibilities of my life and my forever. We live in a world that seems to... to, to make it a, 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 an extreme priority to divide us. It seems that in the culture we live in, we are devising new ways to divide us, to break down society by whatever measures you want. You pick the boundary, the color of your hair, the, the color of your skin, the way you speak, where your family came from, just everything and yet, in Christ, the possibility for not division but unity is a whole new thing. It's a whole new opportunity. Like in this in this passage right here, talks about some uh, some amazing things. He says, "There's not Gentile or Jew." What? There are definite lines drawn on that one. You're either in or out on one side or the other. He goes on circumcised or uncircumcised. This is about Jews who became Christians and those who were not Jews became Christians and a little operation that needed to happen, some thought. He said, no, it doesn't matter. And then he goes on and he says, barbarian. We all know what a barbarian is, right? No, you don't. Not in Jesus' time. We think a barbarian is a terrible person. We accuse our kids of being that at four years old when they throw their food. You're a little barbarian. Uh, but barbarian is simply somebody in, in Jesus' time around the Mediterranean who didn't speak Greek. 
So it wasn't, it wasn't even derogatory. It was just someone whose, whose language, the, the common com, com, language in commerce was Greek, but who someone who lived on an island or lived in the outskirts or didn't speak Greek. It was just, they were a barbarian. It, didn't, it wasn't a negative term back then. And the Scythian is an interesting word that he would include this here. The Scythians were a group of people who came down from the north about 600 years before this time. And they began to conquer and they were, they were brutal. They were great warriors. They were violent. They were just, and even up to the time uh, that this is written, uh, Jesus' time, the Scythians were, um, were violent kinds of people. Matter of fact, uh, modern archaeology has found some of their, their weapons of warfare, one of which is a, an arrow. And on the end of it, it has not, it's not like flat with two blades. It has three blades. And not only are all three blades sharp, but they're barbed on the end, meaning that if it goes in, it's going to cause damage. And when it comes out, it's going to cause damage. These were violent people. He's saying those who used to be violent, those who used to think were ignorant or outside of your, it doesn't matter. That is put aside in Jesus, we are to live in unity you know why? Because the walls and the barriers have been broken down, not first between us, but between us and God. You see, the reason we want to divide amongst each other is because we have selfishness and we have fear and we have all kinds of, but when the barrier between me and God, the wall is taken down, I'm good with God and God is good with me. Therefore, I am under his protection, I'm under his provision, and I can be okay with you. I might disagree with you. I might confront you on something, but I don't do it in anger. I don't need to react. I'm good. So a part of what we're learning here is that in Christ, there are new possibilities for all of humanity. In verse 12, it goes on and talks about not just a new kind of people, but new kind of individuals, a new kind of person. In, it's in, in essence, Paul is saying that Here's who you are, and I'll start being who you are. Right? It's, he's calling out us, not inherent goodness, but that we have been made all right, okay, justified with God. Now start living up to that, up to the privileges and opportunity he's giving you. It's not about duties. It's not about requirements. It is about living up to incredible responsibilities and opportunities of being a child of God. So here's what he says in verse 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I'm going to talk about those three in a moment. This is who you are. I'm not, I'm not telling you have to do these next set of things to become this person. I'm saying this is who you are, these three things. Now, because you're this kind of person, you get to do these kinds of things. He goes on, he says, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, I'm not going to do that section. I could, I could do a week on every one of those words. I, could, I love those words, but you go research them. It'll be good for you. Um, but he ends this with this. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He says... So the beginning of this paragraph, the end of this paragraph. Because you are chosen, holy, and loved, because of those things, that you can live in love, you can walk in love. So two aspects of this. One is love, be loved, and, and then choosing to love. So you are chosen. You are chosen. You may not know this, but if you're a Christian, you didn't do that. If you're, you made a decision to accept God's gift, but even the, the momentum to receiving that gift was the Holy Spirit working in your heart. It is not possible for you in your own strength to come to be a child of God. 
unless the Spirit draws you. So I don't know how you became a Christian, but you may have, you may have hit a pain point in life that you just realized you couldn't handle anymore, and you woke up and you needed some help. You may have had a question you couldn't find the answer to, and you turned to, to some ancient wisdom and realized that there was a God. You, maybe you observed somebody else whose life was more peace-filled than yours, and you wanted that. But in that moment, whatever triggered that curiosity or that need, the Holy Spirit was at work drawing you. You know why? Because you were chosen. I imagine the following scenario. Uh, a young couple gets married. Uh, the, the, the wedding is finished. Ceremony. They're going to the reception. On the way to the reception, he looks over and goes, you know, I think we're going to do okay. I really wanted Susie, but you're going to have to do. <laughs> there would be a murder between the wedding and the reception. And it would be either the bride or her father or her big brother. And rightly so. Nobody would convict him. Um, but that's not how God feels about us. Well, nobody else showed up. I'll take you. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You are chosen. Do you know how incredible it is to be chosen? You are chosen. And because you're chosen, you are holy. I don't, I don't feel very holy, and nobody else thinks I'm holy. But let me describe this for you. Because positionally, before God, you are forgiven. You are holy. The debt has been paid. The ticket's paid. You don't owe anything, okay? But... When you come to believe in Jesus, you are chosen, you accept that gift, then you're in this spot. And now the whole world is kind of moving this way. But all of a sudden, because of the Holy Spirit working in your life, you start, instead of going with everybody and the trajectory you were previously on, you now start veering off to be more like Jesus. And at first it doesn't look that different, or maybe it does, depending on what you're coming from. But the more and more you go, the more your life has changed. The more different your attitudes are, the more different your aspirations are, the more differently you look at the world because you are holy. The word holy means set apart. As you follow Jesus, you are going to be more and more apart from the culture you live in and the selfishness and, and the self-destructiveness of the world you live in. You are chosen, and you are holy, and you are dearly loved. Dearly loved. Think about that. This isn't a religion where you do keep all the rules, and you do it to earn God's favor. You are dearly loved. Not you're going to be dearly loved, or if you earn it, you'll be dearly loved. You are chosen, holy, dearly loved. What does it mean, those things? If we could just... We could just let those sink into our minds, into our spirit. If we can understand those things, it would change a lot about us. I have over the years done a little bit of counseling, and a little bit because nobody ever comes back for a second, um, and for good reason, because I'm terrible. But um, one of the things I see often, whether it's a husband who's stepped out of his, uh, out on his wife, or Somebody who's just done something really self-destructive or somebody who's experiencing the pain of somebody else doing something self-destructive. Oftentimes, not every time, but I, I, off the top of my head, 75%. They come in and they're in a hurry to get the story out and, and, you know, and they're telling me and this and then they want me to get the whole 10 years worth of whatever in like a minute and a half. And I, and I, and I, I listen. And, but I want to I usually, I, I just want to say, and sometimes I do say this, Stop. Just stop. Are you a Christian? Yes. Which means that you are chosen and you're on your way to becoming more like Jesus and you're dearly loved, right? Yeah, okay. Could we just stop and just breathe for a minute? Just let's start with who you are. 
not what's been done to you or what you've done. Let's start with, let's just, this is who you are. I was listening to a, a, <laughs> I was listening to a talk on, on peace and, and it was this guy doing this talk, a theologian, author guy, and, and the music was so slow. And then he started talking and it felt like it was taking forever. And everything in me is, peace, get on it, peace. I need the peace stuff. Come on, could you just... One of the things that we do when we realize this is true is we just relax a little bit. I know who I belong to. I know whose I am. And the Bible says that nothing out there can take that away from me. There's nothing that could be done to me that'll take that away from me. Paul is in prison facing torture and death, but he knows that he's he's in a relationship with Jesus, that he has chosen, that he is becoming more holy and that he has loved, and that will go on into eternity. And even if you take my life, I have something better waiting. It's okay. So if I, if I can really understand that I am loved, it, it changes the way I deal with some things. Let me read. Um, uh, well, let me give you a couple more thoughts and then I'll read in, in Philippians again. If I can understand that I, that I am loved, then some things happen. Tim Keller uses this phrase. It's a wonderful phrase. And he says, you are more deeply flawed. You are more sinful than you would ever care to admit. But you are more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. See, what happens when I buy into this, this truth that God loves me and has chosen me and is changing me, when I buy into that, then I no longer walk around trying to cover up those parts of me that I know are not honoring to God and are embarrassing in front of everybody else. If I am truly loved, and I know that God has nothing, and he already knows the truth about me, I am able to open up and go, yep, I got some stuff. So you're not hiding from anybody, you're a hot mess, any more than I am. You're not hiding, and you're not hiding it from God, but in God we find the security the, the belonging to the point where we can go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look. Oh my goodness. I really am. I really am that selfish. I really am that self-absorbed. I really do have that many blind spots. But because of the security found in God's love, we open it up and the Holy Spirit starts just zapping them one by one. Just going, okay, let's deal with this one. Let's deal with this one. Let's deal with this one. And that's where the holiness really begins to pick up speed. We start becoming more and more like Jesus. And so on a personal level, because I am loved. Now here's the second part of that. Because I am loved and God and I, are, we're, we're, we're doing this thing together. I can now feel free to love. Because I am so loved, I can now feel free to love. I don't need to walk around covering up or... And you ever, in the, back at boxing days, they used to have referees and tell them, now cover yourself in the clinches. So like when you're uptight, just, you know, kind of keep it covered. And many of us live our whole lives like that, just trying to make sure nothing's going to. But if, like Paul, I am loved and there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God, then I don't need to do this anymore. I remember years ago, um, close to 30 years ago, 
I remember in the little church, we're just starting a little tiny church, a congregation of 15 people or whatever. And one lady started coming and she was a little tiny lady. She was about then, she was about my age now. So she was in her 60s, a little tiny squirt. And uh, she was just, uh, it was just hard, hard. She had a hard life. She'd found out along the way that she had been abused and in her childhood and just severely, and it had, had completely um, directed her life in wrong ways. And um, I remember I remember when I first became aware that something was wrong with her, because every Sunday after church, church so small, I just sat at the front door and greeted everybody as they left. And, and she'd always come through the line and she would get, Pastor, and, but she never got closer than this, and it was very stiff, Pastor, and then she would just be gone. Week after week, month after month, she got in a small group and, and, and started to grow. And, and one day she walked by and I, I, went, I went to reach out and she ran right past my hand and gave me the biggest bear hug. And I'm looking down. I remember it so clearly. I'm looking down at the top of her head. I mean, she was wearing a black top. I remember that. because I, I looked down and go, what's going on with this one? I'm from Chicago. I was already uncomfortable with the hug, but she was just hanging on. And I was like, Why did you hug me today? I realize that Jesus loves me. And today I felt like hugging you. You see, because when we know how much we're loved, we are able to love. Are you going to get gut punched? Probably. Probably will. Somebody's going to hurt you. Can you walk through it because you're loved? You absolutely can. You absolutely can and still even act and feel redemptively toward that other person. It all comes from understanding that you're chosen, that God is making you holy, and that you are dearly loved. It makes us a new person, a new kind of person. Um, let me just skip this next section because I've got 16 more pages. That's not true. A new kind of people, a new kind of person, a new kind of peace. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Um, this idea of peace, it's an inner calm. It's an equilibrium. It's not interrupted or encumbered by anxiety, even the fear of death itself. It's not, it's not interrupted by ongoing or unconfessed sin because I'm living in a relationship with Jesus. I'm being honest about my stuff and he and I are working on it together. Um, it's, it's, just a, it's just a thing in me. It's a thing in knowing who I belong to and wh who's in charge of my life and my eternity. How do we get there? Last week, Cody talked about practices that turn into habits that help us get there. I'm gonna give you, I've got three minutes to give you life-changing information. First one is to practice peace. Practice peace. Here is what it says back in the Philippians passage, 449. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lots of people, lots of people memorize verse 7. But try memorizing all of them because they're all important. So first of all, I'm just give you this real quick. All right, this is the real sermon. So listen up. We're going to go fast. Um, choose faith instead of fear. Here is Paul in a prison, and he says to rejoice. 
If a guy in prison facing torture and death can rejoice, it means that he is choosing in faith to believe that God's plan is bigger than whatever inconveniences he's going to go through or even difficulty or even death. He is choosing faith over fear. Secondly, choose to be gentle instead of reactionary. This word here says gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is not being a wimp and it's not about being a pansy. Gentleness is about strength under control. The picture here is when Big old hulking weightlifter, bodybuilder dad comes home and his four-year-old runs at him full blast as hard as he can. What big dad does not do is drop a shoulder or an elbow. <laughs> Bang. He does not do that. What does big dad do? He absorbs it. He takes it in because he's strong. Four-year-old's not going to harm dad. He's strong. He can absorb it. We live in a world of reactionaries. Everybody's reacting to something. We're not only reacting to stuff, we're looking for stuff to react to. Why? I've already established, I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. I am good. I am good now and forever, not in my own merit because of what Christ did, because I have been loved. I have been forgiven. I can absorb. I may speak back. I may confront, but I will do it in love and in a redemptive way because in Christ, I don't need to be reactionary. I don't need to push back in anger. By the way, it's a struggle. This is a big struggle for me. I think it is for all of us. We get tweaked, we get sucked in, we get hooked. But in Christ, I don't need to do that. My gentleness just means I am so strong because of what God is doing in me. I don't, don't need you. I won't let you rob, to rob my peace. He goes on, he says, prayer and petition. Let me just give you a couple things of prayer. Prayer, it's not a duty. It's an opportunity to meet with God in a place of peace. In this passage here, he says in Philippians that the peace of God, the peace of God, not your peace, not a self-generated peace, not a lack of, of, of violence in the world, or the peace of God. If you're going to get something from God, you ought to spend some time with God. We live in a world that on every turn is trying to rob you of peace. Wouldn't it make sense that we would daily, at the very least, daily spend times in a place of peace with the giver of peace, receiving peace. Doesn't that make sense? You see, your daily prayer time isn't about earning brownie points with God. It's not about trying to impress God. It's about receiving the gifts that God wants to give you. One of the greatest of which in the world in which we live is peace, prayer, and then petition. Petition just in that time, place of peace, going, God, I, my peace is getting, I'm struggling to <coughs> keep it because of this, this, and this, and, and Lord, I think this needs to happen, and this needs to happen. Someone recently asked me, it's a great question, I've asked it myself many times, is how do I pray? I said, pray whatever your heart says you should pray. Well, what if I'm wrong? God will understand. And then after I talked to that person this week, I, this quote was, I found this quote, I wish I'd had it at that moment. It said, God gives us what we would choose if we knew everything. In other words, God, I really think this needs to happen, but your will, you know better than me. By prayer, being in the place of peace, giving God the stuff that's disrupting our peace. It's a powerful habit to establish. So practice peace by faith and gentleness. Pray for peace and then ponder peace. When it says in, in the passage in Philippians, brothers and sisters, think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you don't have peace, what are you putting in the computer? That's why reading scripture is so important. That's why it's so powerful. Put some good information. 
not false information, not denial information, truth about God, truth about his provision and his protection for us. Remembering how good he's been to you and what he's done for you. Remember that you used to be an awful, unworthy sinner, but now you're saved by grace and you're loved more than you can imagine. Remember that. And then lastly, in verse 16, there's a couple of things here. It's a new kind of position in life, a position of uh, praise and thanksgiving. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Um, praising God is a wonderful way to come to a place of peace. Just praising God, just acknowledging who God is. We have great music around here. There's great music on the radio, Christian music. Just surround yourself with that praise. Here's, here's what it says. It says, let, let, in this passage, it says, let the message of Christ dwell richly in you. I'm gonna give you two things real quick. It'll be worth the extra two minutes. Dwell means to be at home. Is God's word at home in your life? Is God's word at home in your life? Is it, in addition, not only it says at home, but dwell richly. You ever come home from a long trip and you just want to sit in your family room when you get home, and, and especially if you just travel internationally or something, and just smell it? Just kind of be there and go, ah, oh, this is home. No? You know? So I'm the weirdo here. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Fine. I can accept that. And then you go to bed. And the bed just feels right. Like you're home. And every room in your house you go to is just, it's so good to be home. What it is, is you, you have full access to home. What he's saying is let God's word dwell richly. Let him have, be comfortable with God's word and let him have full access to your life. Not just parts of your life. Your sexuality, your, your finances, your attitudes, your history, your future. Let God's word influence all of that. Let it, drill, let it dwell richly in you. If you will do that, it is a habit that will lead to peace. And then he says a weird thing. I don't know if you caught it or not, but three times in this passage in Colossians, he talks about gratitude. Not only make times to praise God, but walk everything you do, walk in gratitude. There's something in us as humans, psychologists would say it's left over from some evolutionary process. I think it's just the fallenness of man, I don't know. But we look for bad things everywhere we go. It's just automatic. We just look for bad things. We look for things that could harm us. The truth is some of the things you're watching around the world, they have nothing to do with you. We spend our lives... But is it, is it maybe even more true that God's in charge and is trying to bless you every day? And that 99% of the things you're worried about will never happen and the other 1% you can't do anything about it anyway. But you could be recognizing God's blessings on a daily basis. You could be watching for God's provision. See, I don't, I don't happen to believe my wife showed up in my life just because the universe decided it. I think God looked down and said, that kid is a mess. He needs some help. And sent her along. I fully believe that. Too bad for her, but it's great for me. <laughs> I fully believe that. I don't think you're here today by accident. There's something happening. It might have been in the music. It might have been in the lobby. Something's going to happen today. It's going to remind you that God loves you, and that you were chosen, and that you are on a different path. 
What if we just spent our days thinking about that stuff? We'd live differently, wouldn't we? You're chosen. You're holy. Powerful. And God loves you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Lord, it is so good to know that peace is not just an idea or an aspiration, something that we hope for but never experience. Peace is something that we grow in. It is something that you give us and you extend to us as we put ourselves in places, the place of peace. We put ourselves in relationship with you. When we, when we remove barriers and we remember how good you've been to us, peace is something that abides with us, not dependent upon our circumstances. Lord, that picture of you sleeping in the boat is just amazing. Let me learn to sleep when the boats of circumstances around me are raging, knowing that you're in control. And nothing can take that away from me. Lord God, I just ask today that you would give us peace and that we would receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.